You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, Stapes and Hartigan invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. We were together for a moment, but Uncle Daddy and his work wife are now once again spread across the globe. I'm in New York. He is in London. Say hi. Hi. That is James Hardigan coming up on today's show. Oh, by the way, I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. Coming up on today's show, we are recapping the first ever Sunday Million Live. We have got anecdotes galore from that trip to Rosvadov. There were fights with the airline staff. There were fights with the rental car staff. There were fights in the rental car. This introduction is a little bit clickbaity. There's a certain amount of exaggeration going on here. Stop it. It's just the intro. It's fanfare. Um... (laughs) Leon Sukernik shook my hand so hard I thought we had participated in the Klingon mating process of uh, And of course, oh yeah, there was also a, a webcast. Yes, there was. And guess what? We got the winner, Philip Selevsky. He is on today's show. We are on a pretty good hot streak of getting winners of the stuff. We had the World Series winner. We had our last event winner. We had the Sunday Million Live winner. I'm loving it. We're getting, James? Yes. We're getting, we're, we have the respect. We're getting the champions. The champions want to talk to us. I love it. And uh, we're going to have a chance to crown a new super fan champion this week, Elkana Itzkovich. Wow, I said his name right the first time. Uh, he is challenging me on the subject of the EPT9 Grand Final, a.k.a. the greatest final table of all time. James, in revisiting this final table, um, I was like, man, how many? I was like, how many players are at this final table? Like, it just seems... Like there were, there's like a dozen, but anyway, more on that later on. I want to touch a little bit on social media before we get going as it relates to the live show. Um, James, I'm, I'm getting people that are still writing to me on Twitter, Facebook. They want to come to the live show. I know we're all out of tickets. Indeed. Is there any possible way that we could suggest to the people who have plus ones who aren't using them that maybe they could offer them up? Um, I think people were sent an email in the last week and they were asked to A, confirm their attendance and B, confirm the name of their plus one. So at that point, they have to basically say whether they want one or two tickets. Now, if we get a big response and it turns out that the vast majority of people who've claimed tickets aren't bringing a plus one, then we may be able to reallocate. In other words, tickets may go back on sale. Whatever we could do, I just want to do it because I, I really want everyone who wants to go to be able to go. And on the one hand, it's great that everything's so popular, but I also feel bad that there are folks that you know that, that still want to go. And that's why we've taken this two-step process. We want people to verify that they are definitely coming, that they didn't click on this by mistake, that they understand what they purchased in the reward store. And secondly, we need the name of their plus one for the guest list. And also we need to understand, do they actually want that plus one? Because if they don't, if they only want the one ticket, then we'll take the other one back and we'll give it to someone who deserves it. So I'm with you, 100%. And anyone who does that, anyone who gives that ticket back, come see me on the night and I'll give you at least a very special pat on the back and also probably a drink. But let's see how many people it is first. I was going to say, Joe, 160 people have revealed that they will not be bringing a plus one and have given their tickets back. You owe 160 (laughs) people a drink. And yes, they all want top shelf spirits. Wonderful. Uh, Anyway, so I'm just going to go get something from my car real quick. Uh, (laughs) 
James, anything interesting happened between now and when I last saw you? Did you watch anything good on the plane? Uh, I love that. When I last saw you, you mean like a, a day and a half ago. Um, I tell you what, I was working my way through Preacher Season 2 on the plane, but when I got home, I was going to start watching Narcos Season 3, which has just dropped on Netflix, but you have been banging on about Ozark so much for the last week that I figured, do you know what? I'll prioritize that over Narcos. So my wife and I started watching Ozark the other night, have now watched two episodes, and I'm really enjoying it. So thank you very much for the recommendation. That's so much pressure when you said, like, based on your recommendation, you started watching something, especially when you get the wife involved, uh, because now I'm wasting two people's time, potentially. The fact that I finished Ozark while we were in Razvadov says a lot because I bail out on a lot of shows or like I'll wait six months between episode eight and episode 10. And so that I'm glad that you're enjoying it. I started Narcos season three on the way back from Razvadov. I will say, uh, I guess this is a slight spoiler, but um, it's not as compelling without uh, what, what was it? What's the guy's name? Pablo Escobar. Escobar, yeah, it's not as compelling with that guy whose name I can't even remember. Um, it's still mildly interesting, but it's not uh, it's it's not the same. But I'll I'll finish that one too. Okay, uh, you mentioned Rosvodov, Joe. I think we should do our event recap now. Let's do it. Event recap. Event recap. Yes, Joe and I went to Rosvodov for the first time for Sunday Million Live, the first time we've ever run this event. A big event, a huge event, in fact, a record-breaking event, and some stuff happened along the way. Yeah, uh, before we, we get into the stuff, I just want to say how fucking fun it was to do a 200 euro tournament like it was an EPT or a Poker Stars Championship. Man, was this fun. The players were having fun. We were having fun. I just, uh, it, it, it was like almost, it was, other than the fact that, you know, Razvadov King's Casino is like a Vegas style casino, it felt like doing a home game. It did. And I actually felt very comfortable because often if we're covering an event, which is like a super high roller or even a 5k main event, I'm not an accomplished poker player and I feel very uncomfortable doing any yeah. form of analysis on players who are clearly better than I am. But this is my bread and butter. These are the kind of tournaments that I would play. And certainly if it comes to short stack, turbo structured events, this is where I feel in my elements. So I can very comfortably say, this is the correct play. This is the wrong play. For example, raise folding out of a six big blind stack with ace king. <laughs> not optimal any day of the week, especially not on a Monday. Yeah, if you guys want to uh, to learn something about how to play the kinds of tournaments that you're mostly going to be in, right? Like James is very good at uh, at this style of poker. I get a piece of James's action in all of these events um, <laughs> where it's push fold poker for like hours and hours and hours, and that's what it was in Rosvodov. Except the players weren't playing that way. Anyway. Let's start at the beginning before yes. we get to the final table. Now, James, I did not witness this, but Matt said he witnessed an altercation between you and a flight attendant when you refused to put down your iPad. Okay, because they made up this random rule. Now, obviously, we fly frequently, so I am pretty au fait with the rules and regulations on planes, particularly on the airline that we normally fly with. Now, the advantage of having an emergency exit aisle on a plane is you get 
much more legroom, which for someone like myself, who is six foot three, is a huge advantage. Of course, the rub is you're not allowed to have your bag on the floor. All your stuff's got to be in the, the, the box above, but that's fine. I have no problem with that. I was introduced to a new rule on this particular flight. If you're in an emergency exit aisle, you cannot use your handheld electronic device during takeoff and landing. And this um, is literally the first time I've ever been told this. And I think it may be the last time I'll ever be told this because I was in exactly the same seat on the flight home and nobody said anything. Okay, so why do you think they singled you out then for this one time? Was it a random enforcement of a rule that actually exists or did you do something on your way in to piss them off? I think it was a misunderstanding of the rules by a member of the staff on board the plane because when I was arguing and saying there's nothing like when you agree to have an emergency exit seat, it doesn't mention that in all the T's and C's and all the stipulations. <laughs> this has never happened to in any flight before. And she's just looking a bit worried. She goes, well... Well, um, that's my understanding of it, and that's what I've been told. Don't ever get in an argument with James Hardigan about anything. You will lose. The irony is, this is a fight I did not expect to win. Ultimately, if someone on a plane tells you to do something, you've got to do it or they're going to kick you off. But it just gives me this small, petty victory if I can argue my point and require <laughs> the person telling me to do something to provide the reasoning behind what they're telling me to do, especially when that reasoning has no factual basis to it. I'm so glad I didn't witness this because, first of all, I would have been horribly uncomfortable. Second of all, I would have been like, put it down! <laughs> put the fucking iPad down! Now, I will concede that I argued with someone on the plane. I don't remember having an argument with the rental car staff. No, it was when we dropped the car off and the guy was trying to tell us that there was a dent in the car. And you're oh, like, man, what dent? that was bullshit. There was no dent in the car. <laughs> but ultimately, the guy's standing there, you know, you have to sign. And I realized, oh, wait a minute. We took the fully comprehensive insurance, so it doesn't matter whether the car has a dent or is totaled. I don't have any excess on this, so I just signed it. Yeah, whatever. You saw it, right? There was no dent in that door. There really wasn't. Um, and yeah, there, there wasn't. So, and I don't, I didn't understand his point. Like, I don't. Maybe he didn't realize you had the full on insurance, but he probably gets paid a buck for every dent he points out, or maybe he like maybe people bribe him. Maybe they're like, oh, yeah, here's a here's a fire. Let's keep that between us. Anyway, that wasn't the biggest fight involving the rental car. Now, um, basically what happened was we were sitting in this rental car for about 10 minutes in the garage while they're fiddling with the GPS and it starts getting hot in the car. And I want to roll the window down and not that James enabled the the locks, but the child safety locks were on the window. And I'm like, hey, James, can you uh can you turn off the child safety locks on the windows? He's like, the air conditioning's running. I'm like, I don't care. I want to roll down the window. And he's like, no, too bad. And I fucking got pissed. Really, really angry. To the point where you decided you were going to open the door while the car was moving to prove a point. The car was not moving. The car was stopped at the time, which is why you were like, well, we'll, we'll get it going when the car's moving. Well, the car's not moving. I did open the door and I closed it when the car started moving, but I felt like I was being treated like a child sitting in the back seat, not allowed access to the windows. And I was like, you know what? You're going to treat me like a child. I'm going to act like a child. At which point I pulled my hat down over my face and I went quote unquote to sleep and the funniest part is I listened to you guys with the GPS and I, I knew what was eventually going to be the problem but I kept it to myself 
because I thought it was hilarious that no, nobody wanted to listen to me. Nobody wanted to let me have access to the windows. I'm just going to sit in the back seat like a child and not have an opinion. Okay, full disclosure. I had no idea where the fucking button was to release the windows. And <laughs> you because we were, said that. Because we were trying to get the GPS working, my lowest priority was Joe wants to open a window. The air conditioning was blasting, by the way. And the other thing is, I don't know whether you ever have this when you're in the front seat, when someone opens the window at the back and you're driving along, and it creates this really weird sensation in your ears <laughs> that's like a plane is descending we really rapidly. We not moving yet. All you had to say was, I don't even know where the button is, and I wouldn't have gotten so furious with you. I did find that button on the second day, by the way. So the GPS, which we dubbed Helga, because it had this woman's voice that was giving us instructions, and at one point I was like, please turn that off, because I find it so annoying when there's this incessant, like, in 400 keep, meters keep, keep to the right yeah when it tells you to stay on the road you're on 500 times the issue is whoever had had the car beforehand whoever had programmed helga previously had changed a key setting which was instead of selecting the fastest route they had selected the shortest route which i assume is the shortest as the crow flies which means for some bizarre reason it took us off the motorway <laughs> a good 100 kilometers before Rosvedov and started taking us through these goddamn housing estates. It was at this point that I was like, all right, like I need to say something. I can't just sit back here like not speaking and not contributing because otherwise we're never going to get to where we're going. And there's a certain point where I finally just like picked my head up, took my hat off my eyes and went, hey guys, shortest doesn't always mean fastest. And then I went back to sleep. I was slightly concerned that they had that setting where it says, like, no motorways, no toll rolls. Anyway, once we got that sorted, we got back on the motorway and made our way there. I'm, I'm afraid, Joe, that because you were pretending to be asleep, because you were sulking <laughs> in the backseat, you missed out on some amazing karaoke opportunities. No, I didn't. First of all, even if I had wanted to participate, you and Matt have the absolute worst taste in music. <laughs> With your Robbie Williams and your Aunt and Deck and your Chaz and Dean and all the other <laughs> these awful Brit pop eighties music that like only in America is like basically only at like roller disco parties and you two are just loving it. So I was perfectly happy to check the fuck out during that. Uh, I didn't take as much video as I was planning on because I was pouting, but we did get some good stuff. I don't think I got the the head on collision on video. The head-on uh, collision, by the way, can we just be clear, was not my fault. That not car, your fault. it was a car overtaking another car, coming in the opposite direction, and I think it's fair to say he took a risk. Um, he took a risk for all of us. That was like one of the few times I was actually paying attention that was happening, and I just, I like open my eyes and I lean toward the center down the down the windshield, and I go, "What the fuck is that?" And it's just cars heading at us in both lanes, and it's only a two-lane road. I was like, "We're gonna die." Well, we made it. We made it, first of all, to our hotel, which interestingly was on the German side of the border. I hadn't quite realized, probably because I hadn't studied the map, how close to Germany Rosvedov is. It's only three kilometers across the border into the Czech Republic, which I guess is why it's so popular with so many German poker players. But our hotel was in Germany. Uh, I dubbed it the Mosquito Motel because I got bitten to shreds oh, on two successive nights. I'm still itching like crazy. We went to King's. Joe, we walked into that place the first time. Time. I mean, we were met by a crowd of people because it was the Saturday. It was the final day one. There were three flights for Sunday Million Live. The first flight had more than 900 players. The second flight had more than 900 players. And there was still one flight to play later that night. It was heaving. It was peak time to be there because it was like the, the crux 
like the point in between the two biggest flights, basically. So as people were busting out of one of them and getting into the next one, I mean, the place was massively full. It was a sight to see, actually. Um, biggest poker room in all of Europe? Yeah, it is. And that main tournament room, which I described on the stream, is like an aircraft hangar filled with poker tables. It is a vast space. I mean, you could run some of the biggest events in the world in this place. Um I think it reminded me a little bit. We were lucky enough uh, three years ago to go to the Playground Poker Club in Montreal, yeah. which was a fantastic trip for us. And this reminded me of that as a real, even though this is more of a, a casino and it has the table games uh, up on the upper level, it still felt like a, a poker place. It felt like a casino designed for poker tournaments and for poker players. And it's a really kind of great environment. If you're going to play poker, uh, you know, it, has, it generally feels like they put poker first. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which was, you know, if you go to any Vegas casino, um, the poker room is small. Yes. And if they happen to do an event there, they I, rent out the event space in the casino. You've hit the nail on the head, Joe. It was just like a Vegas resort, but where poker is prioritized over everything else. So you get the best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, and I was not sure. I know typically when we go to events, we're not really allowed to play. I will say that for the first time uh, in a long time, I wanted to play in the casino. Um, and you know, I wasn't, I'm sure because we had such a good relationship with Leon and stuff like that, it would have been fine, but I don't like to risk it. But, uh, yeah, there was just something about that place. It made me want to play poker. It made me want to even play table games, which I never do. Uh, and just that, that opening shot, there's probably some photos of it somewhere, uh, of me and you and Matt standing over that massive poker room. It was, uh, it was buzzing. Now, we didn't get to gamble, but we did get to eat because we took advantage <laughs> yeah. of the 24-7 buffet that Kings have, which is amazing. This buffet, by the way, is free to all people inside the casino, and it is refreshed every hour. It is absolutely amazing. It's it's pretty fantastic. And, you know, it's not the biggest buffet in the world, but the fact that there's no admission, there's no, like, you just walk in and out uh, all day long, which Matt and James did quite a bit i didn't realize see we because the levels were shorter we got more frequent breaks than we were used to on like a poker stars championship event on my breaks i was sitting outside the door of the commentary room just playing on my computer what i didn't realize is that matt and james on their breaks were going to the buffet like every single time it was buffet time every time <laughs> and so we would be done for the night and I'd be hungry. I'd be like, let's get some food. And Matt and Jay's like, nah, we've been going to the buffet all day. <laughs> We're fine. The one time we did all go to the buffet together, there was a guy at the table next to us, by the way, who somehow managed to load onto one small plate a stack of six pork chops and two slices of pizza. Not feeling he had enough slice of pizza, he then went back, got another plate, and came back with another four slices of pizza. My God, I have never seen a human being shovel food down his gullet like that guy. <laughs> oh man what it, i mean i wonder if he could single-handedly break the casino like you know how um the casino can bar you like if you're too good at blackjack yeah. or you're, like if you get a dice they're like look we reserve the right to bar you they're gonna go look sir um we're out of pigs <laughs> there's no more pork left anywhere um the one uh the one buffet-ish thing that we did not get to take advantage of as much as i would like is for the first time ever and i don't know why someone makes such a stupid decision, but David Curtis set me up with a with a bar tab. 
with you know with a free bar tab and i was like oh my god yes free bar tab you know how many drinks i put on that bar tab over three nights six total what a fucking waste <laughs> i was so it was so annoying because james had to drive us back to the hotel every night and we got we finished at 1 30 in the morning uh, the first night. So there's no yeah. time to like hang out and drink. And all I did is I walked by the bar on the way out with like a tear in my eye. I was like, I'll, I'll stay, stay alive. And how do you I think, will find you. How do you think I felt? I was the one driving. I couldn't drink anything. All that got put on that tap for me was two tonic waters. That's right. There's a zero tolerance uh, drinking law in the Czech Republic. So James, he, he wouldn't even sniff the wine. <laughs> uh, talking of bad decisions, on the first day we were there <laughs> and we were just kind of just scoping out the place. And then there's these couple of guys walk past and Joe spots that one of them is wearing the now out of print. Everyone loves a chop pot T-shirt. And Joe insists on making eye contact and shouts out, hey, cool T-shirt, bro. And the guy kind of looks over and he's like a bit confused. And then his friend is like, oh, like, it's it, it's Joe Stapleton and you're wearing the Chop Pot t-shirt. The guy wearing the t-shirt, by the way, had absolutely no fucking idea who we were or what the catchphrase how, was or where it came from. How does that happen? Like, how does he end up with that t-shirt? Like, it's not like that t-shirt's like in Goodwill, you know, in charity shops across the, the continent. Like, I guess how do you some get that people, shirt not know what it is? I guess some people just liked the design. When it was available in the VIP store, they just they just liked the look of it. So it turns out some people really do just love a chop pot and it has nothing to do with the song. Anyway, the one guy who did know who Joe was and then recognized the rest of us as well, then brings over the rest of his crowd. I believe these guys were Dutch, Joe. They they had clearly been drinking for many hours. And I think it was then half an hour before we could get rid of them. Well... I we were just waiting around for some reason. I don't remember why. I mean, maybe you guys were just waiting around because you're watching this interaction. But basically, these Dutch dudes were super bummed out. They all busted like one, their flight they played in. And so one of them went was like, well, this night's got not going to waste and went to the bar and bought a bottle of rum called Boskov. And well, <laughs> I didn't know he had bought it. He pulls out this bottle of rum. He's like, Stapes, do a shot with us. And I was like, wait a second. Um. Did you buy that here or did you bring it inside? Because if you brought it in, I'm not going to like get thrown out of this casino for like drinking Bogart booze. And he's like, no, I bought it here. So then <laughs> we all start ripping shots of this rum. And what was the guy's name? Bunyan? Yes, Bunyan. Bunyan. And he made me do a Snapchat to his friends. Yo, what's up? I'm drinking Boscov for Bunyan. <laughs> It looked like you were actually doing some kind of endorsement video for this obscure Czech brand of rum. I actually had to double check real quick because he said something about like, can you make it to the like to the one time killers or something, uh, which I think was his home poker group. But all I could picture in my mind is like me accidentally doing an advertisement for like a rival poker site. Uh, so over the course of the next two days, we covered Sunday Million Live day two and day three. Um, let's talk about the final table. Joe, because we've got the winner coming on in just a moment. This final table was even more ridiculously shallow and even more ridiculously tight than the Barcelona final table we covered the previous week. Yeah, it's so weird because during Barcelona, we were, you know, we had a lot of new viewers. We were like, look, guys, this is a little atypical for our events. It's usually not this shallow. There's usually a little bit more play. It's not usually so much about shoving and folding. It's not usually so nitty. And then the very next event, 
how do they do that? Like, how does it become even more nitty, even more folding down to three big blinds? James, you mentioned I wasn't in the booth at the time, but a guy raised folded ace king when yep. he had six big blinds or something. Yes, that was probably the most egregious play we saw, but there were other strange plays as well. Um, I would like to hear what it was like from the perspective of someone who was at that final table. So let's speak to the man who actually took down the first ever Sunday Million Live at King's Casino in Rosadov. We're very pleased to be joined by Philip Salevsky. Welcome to Poker in the Ears, Philip. Hello, guys. It's an honor to be on your podcast. Is it an honor, Philip? Because when I ran into you at the King's Casino, you said, Jamie Staples, I really love your jokes. Well, um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of your stream, and that was, that, that, that was an obvious joke to make in that situation. Well, what's funny is that James, he goes, he said that to me and I did my absolute best to like be nice. So I was like, ah, it's funny. And he goes, no, it's not funny. <laughs> yeah, I, you, you were very nice in that moment. So everything is good. <laughs> it's cool. Because I know, look, even though you're joking, it's still attention directed at me and I'm fine with it. Philip, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but we, we got enough fills in poker. We're good. Um, yeah. Okay. Then basically... It would be okay if we can if we stop here and I'm going my way then. Are you just going <laughs> to retire now? Now that you've, I guess that's a real question for me. Is that um, you know you're the winner of the first ever Sunday Million Live? How many times have you attempted to win the Sunday Million regular? Actually, not that often because um, I'm most of my time I was living in um, in Europe in Central Europe and the Sunday Million always kind of conflicted with my sleeping schedule so i didn't really play it that often wait you actually put living and sleeping above poker sometimes imagine that that's crazy well tell us a little bit about what your poker history is then where where have you come from poker wise um, um if i remember correctly i started playing poker around 2007 and until black friday i play quite a lot online but after Black Friday, I basically retired from poker and focused on other projects and went from being a somewhat semi-professional player to a recreational one. Oh, interesting. Okay, so would you say that this here is like just a random flyer that you took or have you been back in the poker world? Um, I guess for recreational, in, in the past six months, I've been playing a lot more than before that. But... Yeah, it was just a, an occasional try to, 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 to make something happen. I really love that because it seemed like uh, a lot of the people who are at that final table may not have been professional poker players, and it sounds like you aren't really either. Is that the same sense you got? Um, yes, most of them, except for one or two guys at the final table uh, that I talked to, um, didn't seem to be professional or even semi-professional players, yes. I think it was quite clear to us who, for want of a better phrase, looked like they knew what they were doing and who clearly had never been here before. And I think, Philip, you spent a decent amount of time on the feature table on day two, and obviously you made the final table on day three. We got to see quite a lot of you. And it was clear that, you know, you'd been here before. And in fact, you only have to look at your Hendon mod page to realise you've had some good results in live tournaments. But at the final table in particular... I found it intriguing. I think you came into the final second in chips, but for the first even couple of levels, 
you very much sat back and bided your time. You weren't involved in a lot of the action. Well, the final table as it played out was really shallow in stacks. Basically, the whole tournament was pretty shallow in stacks. So there wasn't much space to maneuver or play any post-flop, really. Yeah. So I had to, I had to sit back and basically base all my decisions on, on fundamentals in, in pre-flop. But what's interesting is not everyone was doing that. Everyone else was in a similar situation. In fact, many of the stacks at the table were a lot shorter than you, and yet they were still trying to play through the streets. Yes, there was a lot of raising, open raising of nine big blind or eight big blind stacks or um, even three betting to half your stack. But I tried to not to get involved in that. <laughs> Good man. Uh, I have a question actually about uh, the deal negotiations. Now, at first, you guys talked about a deal and then it didn't happen. And then uh, one more player went out and it did happen. And you were sort of leading the deal negotiations, right? Well, um, first off, the first time someone mentioned the deal was six-handed, and then again in, more intensely when we got four-handed. But at that time, I was um, the short stack, and Dominic, another great player, the, the guy who finished second, uh, he had the big stack at the time, and he was just um, basically he wouldn't wouldn't have ex he hadn't accepted any deal close to ICM. And I thought at that moment that I had an edge over some, at least some edge over the other three guys. And I, if I had taken a deal at that time, I would definitely had insisted on t taking something close to ICM numbers. Then I doubled up twice, I guess. No, at least one time and then won another small pot. And I went from being the short stack to being the big stack. And that was when I was fine doing some um, deal negotiations with something that would give me ICM plus a little bit on top. Right, so you guys end up splitting the difference sort of between a chip chop and an ICM chop. Yeah, closer to an ICM chop, but yeah. I thought you handled it really well, Philip, because you were very clear in what you wanted and you were very clear in what you felt you were giving up and it was seemed very kind of reasonable and you did a very good job of convincing the other three players that it wasn't a huge imposition, what you were asking, and you managed to get, I think, 1,500 from two of them and 900 from the other and, and locked yourself up a, a six-figure score at a point when it was literally anyone's game. It didn't matter whether you were the big stack or the short stack. Exactly. If we would have been somewhat deeper, I wouldn't have accepted anything to, close to ICM, but I thought with this, with the, with the stacks this shallow, it was really anyone's, basically an all-in pre-flop game, so anyone would have could have finished anywhere between one first or, or fourth. Um, I still gave myself a small edge, so I tried to negotiate a little bit more than I see, and, and that's what, where we ended up. Immediately after the deal was done, and then you get down to three, and Dominic just dominates the final table, dominates three-handed play. He's got like 70 big blinds. You and Joseph have like six big blinds each, and I believe at that point you did say the words, as Joe Stapleton would say, I have a chip in a chair. I don't know. I don't remember if it was exactly that moment, but yes, I gave Joe, I gave Joe some credit for that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. So many people try to act like I'm not the person that invented that. It really tilts me. So ridiculous. It's nice to, ridiculous. It's, yeah, it's nice to have a champion on your side. Uh, Philip, now that uh, you have uh, won a Sunday million, are you going to become less of a recreational player or are you going to keep doing what you've been doing? I think I keep doing what I'm doing. I'm playing some of the smaller events alive, 
some online, but uh, not never probably again a full time pro. Okay, and so that was going to be my next question: is that like you're obviously well versed uh, in talking about edges and ICM and giving this up and that. I mean, you talk like a guy who's done it plenty. Where did you learn that stuff? Um, on the poker forums, on talking with other poker players, on in Skype groups. Basically, I learned, trained, and played. So, who's like a, the biggest? name in your skype group that we would know do we know any of the people that you've uh, learned from um i don't think so they are mostly online players from uh germany and some from austria um no i don't i don't think i you would you would recognize someone i can always i always used to say that you can tell who the really best german poker players are because uh, they moved to austria so they don't have yeah, to pay yeah, taxes. Yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's or, always... any, or anywhere else like the UK. Yeah. Yes, always a major giveaway. Um, I'm interested in what this event was like to play, Philip, because obviously for us it was a lot of fun to cover, but it was also a challenge because it was just so big. Did you play day one online or live? Yes, I played online. And okay. then arrived on the very on the second date in Roswell. And that second day, which was the first day of our live stream, there's 512 people in the room. There are people like yourself who've come through the online route, been given your stack, finding your seat, and tables are breaking left, right, and center because we're cutting through that field like nobody's business. It was, on the one hand, phenomenally well organized, but at the same time seemed to be quite chaotic. Uh, that's again, I think, a credit to the shallowness of the whole tournament. Um, so yeah, it went crazy. Like within three or four hours, we were half through the field. Yeah. And to play to play from five hundred people to twenty down to twenty seven on one day is ridiculous. It's yeah, we had yeah. never covered anything like it before. It was it was definitely uh, a new experience for us. Um, was it as fun to be a part of it as it was for us to commentate it? I think so. I don't know how much fun it was for you commentating, but uh, for me playing it, it was obviously a lot, obviously a lot of fun. If you had, let's say, if you had finished in uh, 20-something place instead of the winner, uh, where would your fun rating go? Still very high because I was happy all all the time. The whole two days, I think I played pretty well, um, made solid decisions, so the outcome didn't matter that much. In the end, I'm happy AF to have won it <laughs> but i would have been happy anyway uh, james philip is the guy that we had uh, another person uh trying to assume his identity at one point too right we did the specter of philip Selevsky lingered at the feature table long after he'd left but there is only one philip Selevsky, and he is a sunday million live champion uh philip it was a lot of fun for us to cover this i was just going to say joe i'm actually really looking forward to going back and maybe taking more members of our production team and maybe doing a, a bigger production next time and really making the most of the facilities that they have at king's casino because philip it's an amazing venue it must be a great place to play poker uh, as I heard, it's the biggest poker room in Europe, right? Yeah, and it was it was quite impressive. Yes, Philip, you were uh, you were pretty impressive, and uh, we're all impressed by the fact that you were the first ever Sunday Million Live winner. Now, um, James, it's safe to assume that because he won Sunday Million Live, he's also a a Sunday Million winner, right? Well, it has Sunday Million in the name, so as far as as far as I'm concerned, yes. 
Okay, good. Oh. Now, I was hoping, Philip, you could play one of my dumb games with me. Are you down? I am done with it. All right. Now, since you're a Sunday Million winner, I'm going to see how well you recognize the screen names of some of your compatriots, some of the other Sunday Million winners. We're going to play a game right now called Sunday Million Winner or Top Ranked Cam Girl. <laughs> so okay, I assume by up. that chuckle, you know what a cam girl is? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay, very good. Look, we all know. We've all, at the very least, seen the ads. Question number one. What I, All I'm going to do here, guys, is just uh, read you the screen name. You say whether it's a Sunday Million winner or a top-ranked cam girl. Are you ready? Ready. All right. Screen name number one. Sexy Lady 409. Hmm. Of course, that could be either, but I will go with um, Cam Girl. Cam Girl is incorrect. That's probably oh. the hardest one of the whole bunch. Sexy Lady 409 won the Sunday Million on November 18th, 2012. Okay. All right, I'm going to let you pick the rest of yours, by the way. Oh, also, for every question you answer, that's whether you get it right or wrong, I'm going to donate $10 to New Hurricane Relief, this time in the Caribbean. Uh, pick any number between 2 and 16. 15. Number 15, Big Honey. Oh, he's a Sunday Million winner. That is correct. That's Chris Utican. He won in November 2014. All right, $20 going to Hurricane Relief. Uh, any number between 2 and 16 except for 15? Give me 10. Number 10, Kipster DK. It should be another Sunday Million winner. That is correct. Kipster DK won the Sunday Million twice, so I'm going to double the amount of money in that question. Let's go into Hurricane wow. Relief. Great stuff. Uh, okay. You can have 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Any, any number, me, really. Give me 7. It is always coming. Seven. Screen number seven is come get some. <laughs> this, sh this actually should be another Sunday Million winner. Come get some is actually a cam girl. Top uh, 20 ranked cam girl. Okay, okay, okay. You're doing pretty well. So, well James, do you have the score? Uh, you've got two right and two wrong. Two right and two Ooh. wrong plus one double question. That's 50 bucks in the hole for me toward hurricane relief. All right, pick another number. Uh, four. Number four, Sly Fox 151. Sunny Million winner. That is correct. That was the winner of the sixth anniversary winner in November 2013. All right, let's do three more. Eight. Number eight. Number eight screen name is IP Saki Saki. It can't be a Sunday Million winner. It has to be a camera. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was a Sunday Million <laughs> oh, winner, dear. December 28th, 2008. You did answer the question, however, so that's another $10 to Hurricane Relief. Uh, let's Congratulations go with... on that screen name. <laughs> right? Not bad. IP Saki Saki. Next, uh, go ahead. You got two, two more choices if you pick a number 11. already picked. Number 11 is Hot Falling Devil. Cam Girl. Cam Girl is correct. One more... Philip, and we'll number 13, Epiphany 77. Oh, that's Charlie Carroll. That is, in fact, Charlie Carroll, so it's kind of both. <laughs> let's be honest, I would pay to watch him on camera. He's a handsome boy. <laughs> Philip, we're super happy for you. It was a pleasure doing commentary. You were a lot of fun to watch. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you guys very much. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Poker in the ears.
So huge thanks to Philip Zalewski and congratulations once again for winning the first ever Sunday Million Live. Um, obviously, the Sunday Million Joe is the big online tournament every weekend on Poker Stars, And of course, this weekend is a special edition of the Sunday Million because we're in the middle of WCOOP. And I just want to give a quick shout out to a couple of events happening this weekend. The aforementioned special edition of the Sunday Million, which has a $530 buy-in, that's double what it normally is, and a $1.5 million guaranteed wow. prize pool. But there is a $215 tournament, WCOOP event number 28. There are satellites for these tournaments. So just focusing on that $215 event, there are $11 sats, $27 sats, and $55 sats running on that day, which will feed through to that event. And one thing I want to say about WCOOP is there is great coverage on the PokerStarsBlog.com. Um, I guess when it's all over, once WCOOP is in the books, we'll do a retrospective look at it. We'll do a recap of the online festival. But before then, if you want to catch up with who made what final table, who's won how many events so far, check out the work of Stephen Bartley, Brad Willis et al., PokerStarsBlog.com. I hope it's still running by the time I come back to the UK because I like to jump in like one really cheap event if I can. It's like fun for me to just do one three-hour run. <laughs> have some content for the podcast. One bad beat story. Superfan versus Stakes. Yes, it's that time in the show where we give a loyal listener the chance to actually come on Poker in the Ears and play against Joe in a trivia quiz to win some prizes. We welcome all the way from Israel, Elkana Itzkovich. Welcome, Elkana. Hello. Good to see you. Good to hear from you. <laughs> Not exactly seeing each other. Elkana, yeah. James. James, Elkana is one of those names that when uh, when I first got a friend request from Elkana, I was like, oh, Elkana. Oh, wait, Elkana's a boy. <laughs> Uh, Elkana, what is your deal? What do you do with your life? Uh, I'm a poker dealer here in Israel. I work in the Israeli Poker Academy. Yes, that's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> Israeli Poker Academy. So, are you? Uh, do you train dealers, or are you yourself learning to be a dealer? No, I'm a dealer, uh, and uh, I hope to become a, a poker player one day. I'm learning. Aren't you, uh, Elkana, aren't you, like, doing commentary sometimes, too? Uh, I, I really hold myself not to when, when I actually do, when I, when, I, when I walk, when I, like, when I deal the cards. I, I hold myself not to, to commentate and, and, like, do a, a talk about the hand and stuff. I, I really want to, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I remember you that. mentioned that to me once before. Elkana, I have messaged on Facebook a little bit back and forth. Um, and I remember him saying that he was looking at that, you know, commentary was at least something that was running through his head and that he hoped to to do to be the first Israeli poker commentator. But sure, <laughs> I can understand equally how it's probably important not to commentate while dealing. Um, <laughs> so, Elkana, you are a loyal PokerStars TV viewer. We love all your interactions with the stream. You have chosen as your specialist subject one of my favorite final tables of all time, the EPT9 Grand Final from 2013. A uh, final table many people believe was the greatest lineup ever assembled. Is that why you chose it? Because all the big names were there? Uh, yeah, and also because it featured three of my favorite players. Well, we got to know who those are. Yeah, uh, Mercier, uh, Cody, and Dwyer. Just to be clear, you don't get any points for mentioning three people who are at the table. 
you're expected to know the lineup before the game begins, which I'm guessing, Joe, puts you at a massive disadvantage. Um, yeah, like I, I kind of probably should have Googled this at least first, but let's do it. Let's just remind ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Stapleton was there. He commentated on the live stream and he did the commentary for the TV shows that followed. But it was four years ago. Do you know how long that is in dog years, James? <laughs> A lot. So, Elkana, we've got 10 questions, five for you, five for Joe. Some are multiple choice, some are not. We'll work our way through and we'll see at the end if you are the winner. Now, being in Israel, I'm assuming that playing on Poker Stars is not an option for you. Sadly enough. Okay, so here's the deal. You have locked up the Everyone Loves a Chop Pot hoodie. That's a thing. If you are victorious, <laughs> if you beat Joe, and we know there's a 95% chance that's going to happen, we will also ship you one of these PokerStars mini chipsets. Oh, that sounds uh, nice. Hopefully it's yeah. still legal to play with mini chipsets. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay, so Elkana, you get to go first. Here is question number one. There is a multiple choice option, but you know the rules of the game. If you're able to answer this question without taking the options, you can get two points. It's only one point if you take the choices. After Joe's okay. winner's interview, Steve O'Dwyer requests what from Joe? Um, a hug. He does for two points. Shit, I, that's probably the only one I would have gotten. <laughs> okay, Joe, well, here's your first question. When Jason Mercier is knocked out, he tells his rail he is off to play what? Multiple choices available. Uh, I'll take the multiple choice. Is he off to play solitaire, tennis, a live hyper turbo, or scoop? Uh, let's see. It did happen in this. I'm going to say a live hyper turbo. Incorrect. It was Scoop. He said, guess I'm going to play some Scoop. We all knew it had to be poker. We all knew it wasn't anything that wasn't poker. Obviously, it wasn't going to be solitaire or tennis. I think <laughs> if it had been open-faced Chinese, that would have been a tough one. That possibly would have uh, definitely led you down that lane. Now, this is not a multiple-choice question, Elkana. We are testing your knowledge of former champions. There were two former EPT champs at this final table, Jason Mercier and Jake Cody. Can you tell me at which events, in which seasons, they earned their titles? Oh, well, uh, Jason Mercier were, was in, in uh, San Remo. I think it was in season five. Incorrect. It was season four. Yeah. Let's see if you're any better with Jake Cody. Jay Cody was Doville, but again, I don't think I can get the season, uh, maybe six. It was season six, so you get one point there for getting Jake's event and season. Joe, your question. At the time of the grand final, Steve O'Dwyer was a three-time finalist on the tour. Where had he recorded his three final table appearances? Uh, one was in London. What season? London season eight. Correct. Um, this is all for one point. I might give you two if you get all three. <laughs> might give you three points for all three. Wasn't uh, season eight was one. Then there was, of course, Athens in season four. No. 
You're saying Steve O'Dwyer did not make the final table of EPT Athens. There has never been an EPT Athens, therefore it was impossible for Steve O'Dwyer to make the final table of a non-existent event. Mm, what am I thinking of then? All right, then let's also say... All right, hold on. Let me really think about this. Um, Berlin... No. Season. You've had too many okay. guesses now. Uh, Elkan, if you can name one of the other final tables, I'll give you a point. Um, well, no, I have no idea, no. Okay, I think well, it was one uh, uh, PCA? No. I can tell you that no. he was at the final table of EPT9 London. He made the London final table in back-to-back -back Oh, I was going to say London again. That's such a dirty trick question. He also final tabled in Copenhagen. Okay, Elkano, we're back to you. The score is 3-1 to the superfan at the moment, so you do have a two-point advantage. While still at two tables, Johnny Lodden survived a three-way all-in involving Steve O'Dwyer and Vasily Fursau. Thanks to an amazing runner-runner coup, what hand did Lodden and Fursau end up chopping with? Uh, with a wheel and a straight ace to a five. It was indeed. That's worth one point, and there is a bonus question, which you could earn another point for. Post-flop, what percentage was Lodden to win the hand outright? Uh, to win the hand outright? Post- Oh, uh... uh I don't. I think he had the the, the he had actually the only percentage to to chop it. It was two percent. That's to chop. So what was his percentage to win the hand outright? Uh, zero. Correct for an extra point. Uh, Meaning the score is <laughs> he now got there. Damn it. Five one. Joe, your question. Daniel Negreanu started the final table in cheery spirits, singing which song to his opponents? Two points if you can get it. One point if you want the multiple choice options. I'll take the options. Don't worry, be happy. Superstition. I believe I can fly. Let's get it on. I believe I can fly. Correct for a point. There is a bonus attached. What does he cleverly change the words of the song to? I believe I can... Uh... I believe I can raise. No, Elkana, you can steal for a point. Well, uh, I know. Uh, I believe I can win. Correct. I believe I can bust them no. all. Oh, God. Yeah, so do you remember his, his thing? Yeah. I lose every flip. In my head, I was like, it's either win or raise. And God damn it, I always picked the wrong one. It is always coming seven for our super fan. Question seven, Elkana. Johnny's Norwegian rail keeps shouting, Sikus. One of his railbirds says it simply means we're having a good time, but Johnny gives us the actual translation. What is it? Multiple choice available. Uh, I take a multiple choice. Okay, is it a house, a party, a school, or a hospital? Uh, whoa. Uh, a party? No, it was hospital. But there is a bonus question, so you can still get a point. In the commentary, myself and Joseph Stapleton both take a guess at what's being shouted by the rail. Can you tell us one of our best guesses? Uh, yeah, I remember uh, Joe guessed it was shoot the goose. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> the other guess being shoot the moose. Um, Joe, it's your question. Uh, once the game goes three-handed, Steve O'Dwyer suggests looking at the numbers. 
but Andrew Pantling declines. What does Johnny Lodden then suggest to Steve? Multiple choice available. I'll take the choices. Let's get him. Let's kill him and chop it up. Let's watch him go out next. Let's pray that doesn't come back to haunt us. Uh, What was option three? Let's watch him go out next. Let's watch him go out next. No, it was number two. Let's kill him and chop it up. Oh, man. Just to be clear, he was not being serious. Well, I also hope that he means the prize pool and not the uh, corpse. Correct. Um, question nine, your final question, Elkana. Neil Johnson, <laughs> Johnson, appears <laughs> Johnson. on our screens, introducing <laughs> Steve O'Dwyer with classic stereotyping. Can you tell me which pun he rolls out? And I can give you the options if you want to play for one point rather than two. No, I can't. I take them okay, here are the options. Does he talk about the chip leader bringing his lucky clover, bringing the luck of the Irish, rubbing his lucky leprechaun, or riding to the end of the rainbow. Now I remember, it was four, uh, riding the end of the rainbow. It is, for a point, which brings us to the final question. Joe, it is your question. Daniel Negranu gets lucky in a classic cooler when two finalists shove all in while he has aces. Who does he take out in a double elimination? Grant Levy. And, and, and hold on, and Vasily Fursow. Vasily Fursow didn't even make the final table, you numbskull. It was oh. Jake Cody and Noah Schwartz. I could have thrown it over to you for a bonus, <laughs> Elkana, but it would have been rubbing salt into the wounds because your score is eight points. Joe only managed to score two points. You have absolutely crushed the quiz. You have won this round of Superfan versus Stapes, and that means you win both prizes. We're going to ship you the hoodie. We're going to ship you the mini chipset. Yay me. <laughs> Let's hope your poker dealing is as good as your poker trivia, you nerd. <laughs> yeah, I hope it is, yeah. Elkana, thank you very much for coming on the show and thank you so much for your continued support. Thank you to you too. All right, my babies, that is just about all the time we've got for this week's show. Coming up next week, we're still trying to track down Andre Akari. You know what? I, I, once I'm back in Brazil, I would probably be lost too. You'd probably be like, nah, no thanks. I got Caparinhas and Mardi Gras. I, I think Andre's actually been busy this week playing poker because the BSOP is going on right now. But oh, I'm nice. hoping that he might be free next week and it also might work in his favor because we'll be recording a bit later in the day. Works better with the time difference. It'd be great to catch up because I did realize Andre has never actually appeared on this podcast ever. Oh, really? I could have sworn. Nope, he's that never he been on, on before. And considering that he just made a PokerStars Championship final table within the last couple of weeks, it's definitely time to get him on the show. Yeah, and I want to hear about the BSOP anyway. Also, next week, we're probably going to recap a bunch of W Coops since that's what's going on in our world. Um, James, I got a massive stand up show here in New York tomorrow. My parents are going to be there. Wow. Yeah, so my parents, oh, and my brother's mother-in-law is also coming. I believe my brother's wife and mother-in-law are coming. So, Joe, what could possibly go right? <laughs> last night I went to an open mic here in New York and tried to try out some, like, family baby anecdotes, and I'll just say that they didn't really play. Um, Who so would have thunk it? Full recap on the stand-up, possibly Andrea Kari, and a recap on WCOOP next time for now. 
We are out of time on Poker in the Ears. For James Hardigan and Joe Stapleton, smell you later.